Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. City News. It's 17.30 GMT. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. I am Umaru Sanda Amadou. Tonight, I'm here with... Enosafo. And coming up over the next 90 minutes. We have noticed that out of the 23 measures, two of them are measures that we cannot support. The first one has to do with the VAT, value-added tax. And the second one has the e-levy threshold exemptions. Minority in Parliament to deal with the devil in the detail during the appropriation stage of the 2023 budget, which was passed yesterday without issue, but apparently the party in opposition in Parliament has some challenges and would ensure those challenges are addressed before the appropriation is passed. Also coming up, eligible domestic bondholders who fail to participate in the exchange program by the government will have no protection from risks. Now, that's according to the government, which is an advice that should be taken or the consequence may be there on the bondholder. And later on Eyewitness News, the largest opposition party, the NDC, heads to the polls this weekend to elect women organizer and deputies and youth organizer and deputies. That is happening in the central region. We'll be gauging the mood in the party ahead of that. Please stay with us on 97.3 CTF and more on that and many other stories on Eyewitness News. And in business, Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Guta, agrees to realign with the 2023 budget despite earlier objections to VAT rate increment. That's in 50 minutes. Michael Ogbodo will be back to bring us the latest in the world of business. Eyewitness News is live across Ghana on a number of affiliate stations, including Boogly Radio 88.6 FM in in Upper West. Also on Word 88.3 FM in Zuarungo in Upper East. On Dasuma 99.1 FM in Yendi, Northern Region. On Holy 98.5 FM in Aplau in the Volta Region. In the Eastern Region on Right 90.1 FM in Somania. In the Ashanti Region on Orange 107.9 FM in Kumase. In the Bono Region we are on Greener 95.9 FM in Sunyani. If you go to the Western Region we are on Premier 100.5 FM Beach 105.5 FM in Takradi and Sky Power 99, 93.5 FM also in Takradi. We are also live on Facebook. Go to City FM's Facebook handle and uh, put your comments under the live feed as you watch. You can send messages using the WhatsApp number 0549-986-996. The opposition party in Parliament perhaps has the strongest or the largest number since 1992. That party, the NDC, has 137 MPs, and the MPP has 137 MPs. That makes the parliament a hang one with an independent MP who is deciding to caucus with the majority side. The expectation, therefore, is that the NDC side, and for that matter the minority group, would be able to hold this government to account, and that a lot of things will not go past under what we used to call the rubber stamp parliament of the republics before 
not the republics, but the, the parliaments of this particular republic before this eighth parliament. However, yesterday with the passage of the 2023 budget without trouble, many people were of the view that the NDC side, and for that matter the minority side, has sold the independence of parliament and allowed the executive to have its way again. The NDC side has been arguing today that that's not the case. One of the key members of the NDC on the economic side of things is Isaac Adongo, his MP for Bolga Central and Deputy Ranking on the Finance Committee of Parliament. Honorable Adongo, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Uh, good evening and good evening to you and your listeners. Maru. I played the sound of the speaker yesterday. He put a question and the eyes had it, which means the budget had been approved. There was no objection from your side, which you could have done if you wanted. For instance, you could say you wanted a vote uh, which is by head count if you didn't believe that a voice vote didn't go in your favor. But you kept quiet, which means you agreed that the budget should pass. Now, many people have gone to town to call you out, and today you are explaining that even though the budget was passed, it was not passed. What does that mean? Yeah, Omar, I think this is uh, very, very important. Uh, the people of Ghana expect the minority to be the gatekeeper. Um, we've had occasion when the, the good people of Ghana felt that we could have done better, and we do agree with them on, on some of those matters. What we sought to do was uh, not to try and, 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 and apportion blame, but to take the people of Ghana through the processes of approval of the budget. The budget is approved in about three, four different stages. The first stage is that government is rolling out its own policies, and there are certain principles under which the government intends to implement the budget over the period. Now, those really do not represent the numbers that are approved and passed in the appropriation, but they represent the general conviction of government and what government wants to do. Now, what that then means is that in the same budget document, or in terms of the policy, there are aspects of the policies that are generally acceptable to the people of Ghana. And there are certain aspects that people may have concerns about. But unfortunately, the process does not allow you to isolate the policies that are acceptable and, and agree to them and, and then isolate the policies that are not acceptable and dis disapprove them. The budget policy principles have to be approved in whole. And then the various elements within the budget are then approved individually. So the common sense is that if you decide that you are disapproving the entire policy, then it means that you are throwing... The, 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 the child out with the, with the bathwater because then you are saying that in this same budget there are, there are policies to do with compensation you, you don't agree. There are aspects to do with, for instance, that the government says I'm going to build a hospital in Bogatanga and I say I disagree. So you have a complication in isolating the aspects of the budget that you generally think that there are no controversies from those that have controversies. But after the principles and the policies have been approved, then we go, we go into the core numbers. So one, the, if we disagree with the cathedral, which is one of the policies in the budget, then the cathedral can be investigated at the level of the committee when we are considering the estimates from the specific ministry where that particular expenditure is located. 
And so at that point in time, the minority at committee can say, we would not approve that particular expenditure. And therefore, we want to vote on that particular expenditure. So the report reflects the fact that we have rejected that expenditure. Then the preliminary has to take a decision whether we all agree or we disagree. So that process would happen. If, for instance, we say that we disagree with the policy to increase VAT by 2.5%, there will be a specific bill that will be brought to Parliament to seek to amend the existing law that we are using to charge VAT. And in that amendment, they will reflect an increase of 2.5%. That is the point we can take a decision and say, look, we disagree with this bill, either we will seek an amendment that does not allow the 2.5%, or we will vote against the particular clause that imposes the 2.5%. So these are matters of procedure. Now, after that has happened, and the estimates have been approved, then we are supposed to consolidate all the expenditure estimates by the ministry, department, and agencies into another bill that becomes an act. We call it the Appropriations Act, which is the act that basically authorizes government to spend on various activities that it has programmed for the year. There again, you can decide that you are disagreeing or you agree. So what we are saying is that what happened yesterday is not an approval of the budget. It is actually an approval of a package of government policies and principles, some of which are acceptable, some unacceptable, but you are unable to isolate and pick and choose what you approve and what you disapprove. And it is a basis we didn't see the need for that level of uh, uh, controversy over it because in any case, if we want to put this to strict proof, we would have those who are also interested in some of the policies that are acceptable will say, so you disagree, for instance, with free SHS, which is in the policy, or you disagree with the policy to introduce staff for children, or you disagree with a policy to still continue with the Northern Development Authority, or you disagree with the policy to refurbish, say, the Polgatanga Regional Hospital. Mm. So you don't have the chance to pick and choose. I see. And that is why the approval of the policy is a bit complicated. These same elements you've listed were in the 2022 budget, and yet you happily threw it out and celebrated in this country. And I'm referring to last year what happened, even though that was overturned later. Why did you then over, I mean, throw out that budget and yet you are explaining away this particular budget? Are they not the same? Honorable Adongo. Hello? I've lost Honorable Isaac Adongo there. We'll try to reestablish connections to him. Uh, this is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are coming to you from our studios in Adabraka in Accra. We are also around the globe on City Newsroom. Dot com. You can join the conversation on WhatsApp. The number to send your message to is 0549-986-996. 0549-986-996. You can also go on Twitter and drop your message there. The hashtag to use is City Newsroom. You can tweet at Umarusanda or at City973. Again, you can go on Facebook where we have a live feed broadcasting what's happening in the studios and you can um, put your comments under there. Let's go back to Isaac Adongo and uh, hopefully speak to him now on a better line. Honorable Adongo, I was asking you that last year you, the NDC side, said you had rejected the budget. It was presided over by the same Speaker of Parliament, and you celebrated that you had thrown out the entire budget, and you referenced what happened under the Liman government. 
I'm saying that these elements you refer to tonight, including the hospital in your constituency that has to be refurbished, were all in that same budget and yet you threw it away. How different is that budget that you threw away or rejected from this budget of 2023? All right. So as a caucus, after the 2022 budget, there have been series of engagement. And some of these questions have come to us, trying to question the rationale behind why we would jettison an entire policy uh, package of government, when indeed it is one or two items that we disagree. And we do have an opportunity to deal with those individual items independently, independently. And we have learned lessons from that. And it really doesn't make sense that we would pursue an agenda to say that the complete package of policies of government should be rejected when the specifics that we disagree will still be available for us to take a decision. And we have come to this conclusion, and it was the basis for which, in this particular budget approval, we didn't think that it was necessary to legit, I mean, to, 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 to uh, what do you call it, uh, uh, try and fight as much as you would, since the matters for which we have disagreed will still be available for us to consider. Let's, let's, but nevertheless, Ghanaians have to understand that only to the extent, and I see this as the biggest imposition that we need to respect as a minority, that as to the extent that we can account for our resistance of the 136 that are currently available in Parliament, I'm sure Ghanaians will be very happy if we resist up to the limit of the powers that they have given us. And the limit of the powers that they have given us is 136 in Parliament at the moment, since one of the of the cases are still yet to be resolved. Once we are able to do that, then, of course, we would have distinguished ourselves in the fight to protect the interests of Ghanaians. So let's list the items you are hoping to challenge and insist will not go through. Um, what are some of the key things that you're going to flag and say no? So yesterday, listening to the concluding debate of the minister, I mean, of the minority leader, Honorable Haruna Idisu, he gave an indication and a signaling of the matters for which we, are, we feel are contentious. He mentioned the fact that the, the removal of the threshold for the E-level, which basically was to, supposed to cushion the poor, will not be acceptable by us. So, now, you, you want, you want, so, you, so you want that threshold to remain? To remain, okay. at least. That okay. threshold to remain. How about, how, about the, how about the percentage reduction? Do you approve of that percentage now? Now, remember that if we disapprove the entire proposals of government, the old one prevails. And the old one is worse than the new one, particularly in terms of the, per- the percentage, because the percentage in the old one is 1.5. And since that has not been repealed, that will be the substitution law. So what do we do? Do we say that we reject this particular proposal in, in totality and reverse to the, the status quo where we are now going to be doing 1.5? Because never mind that that law is still subsisting and has not been repealed. So the best position for us would be, yes, we are comfortable that it moves from 1. 1.5 1, 1. to 1% because that is a better uh, uh, cushioning of, of, of Ghanaians, but also that we don't want to lose the, 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 the safety net that we provided for the poor. If we're able to achieve these two, I'm sure we would have improved it over the previous uh, enactment, which is the 1.5%. Okay. So that is what we'll be seeking to achieve. Then there's 
the, the most likely an amendment would be brought as part of the revenue measures to increase the VAT to 2.5%. That the minority leader was quite clear that the minority will not support that action. Of course, the minority has made it very clear that we are not in support of any allocation for the cathedral. And then also uh, the minority leader gave, gave indication yesterday that we do not intend to support the huge allocation to the contingency vote. And the, the fact that the contingency vote has been abused in the past uh, makes it down on those numbers. So these are some of the things that on top of my head uh, were signaled yesterday in the concluding debate by the minority leader. So when it comes to appropriation, you would say that these things will not go through and you would vote on them at committee level or again it will come to plenary? So committees are referred, will be referred, the particular the finance committee would be having a, ref, a refer on the revenue measures. So the value added tax, the, the e-levy will be referred to the finance committee. At committee, we will do what the, the, the caucus directs as our position. We will take it, we will take it from the committee. Then we would have a report on the floor that reflects the sentiments of the minority. And a decision will be taken on the floor after the debate. The same with the estimates that will come from the various departments, ministry departments and agencies. And for those specific areas where we disagree, uh, it will first have to be highlighted at committee. Now, if you have approved the main budget, which is a shell yesterday, and you are saying you're going to raise issue with the contents, <coughs> legally speaking, do you really have a case? Can you approve the whole vehicle and uh, ask for some of the passengers to be dropped? So, that is the beauty of our democracy. Our democracy is said that we are allowed, and that is why the mandate of Parliament is to look at individual revenue measures that require a law to back them. So the policy is not an approval. Don't forget that the law to be passed would have to go through the full stages of, of passage of a law. So per legislation, the, the, when it is referred to committee and committee works on it, we will have the first, the second reading, which is normally the debate, and we'll have the consideration stage where we will take the bill across by clause, and each clause will be tested based on how much it serves the, service, the people of Ghana. And so each clause will be voted on as part of the procedure, after which the entire, uh, what do you call it, package is then approved. So it is a process. You don't have that process with approval of the policy. In the approval of the policy, we don't even know the nature and form of the law that will be enforcing ELEV, how it will look like, what specific clauses are going, we are going to have, and whether or not those clauses go beyond what we have been told in the policy, and that there may be inimical and other dangerous provisions that have to be scrutinized individually. And so you cannot compare the two. While the other one just gives you the broad framework, the other gives you the specifics, and sometimes the specifics maybe go beyond what you see in the policy document. So we have an opportunity to do a thorough job on, on, the, on, on most of those matches that when they come to parliament. And once they come to committee, they do not constitute the policy as it was presented. They constitute individual bills with individual clauses that must be considered in individually and in whole so that we can put together a law 
that will be enduring and serve the people of Ghana better. All right. Now, on the issue of the government's uh, debt uh, exchange program, your leader has called a press conference. You say you reject it. But your rejection is inconsequential, isn't it? Because it is a program that the government is running with bondholders. How far are you willing to fight this, and what do you expect to come out of it? Well, so we are on the side of of the people of Ghana. Uh, We would wish that the government would have deepened the consultations and would have deepened the stakeholder engagement and and, and sought parliamentary uh, views in arriving at an amicable solution. Nevertheless, we do agree that government needs to undertake a restructuring of, of, our, of, of, our, of our debt, which has been seriously mismanaged now, and we are quite clear that our debt is unsustainable. But we want to do that in a way that is legal. We want to do that in a way that has a human face, and we want to do that in a way that does not compromise the capital market. If we destroy the capital market, and we destroy the financial system, I can assure you no person, no group of people can manage this country going forward. And we want to preserve the capacity of our institutions and our government to be able to continue to serve us and use the capital market to serve the purpose that it has served us for so many years. And we do know that the capital market is under threat, but we'd have to find an alternative arrangement that somehow allows the capital market to continue to rebound that allows the capital markets to be able to weather the storm, whilst at the same time assisting government to have a restructuring program that meets the expectations of the IMF program that we are pursuing. The government has said that this is a voluntary program and people are liberty to opt in or opt out. So you don't really have a case, do you? Because the bondholders would decide whether they want to be part of it. And if they decide that they are going to be part, then that should be it. Yeah, of course. But you see... What you need to understand that this is a major panic button. If I show you the messages I had on my phone on Monday, including some very senior, high-ranking people in our society, people, some of whom can move $1 billion by the stroke of using the computer, who were very worried, and one of them called me and said, Isaac, you could see that the person is alarmed. Now, if people like that, can have that panic. This, today, I was showing uh, 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 my, my message that I was getting to someone else, and the person said, I am such and so person from this place. I have my money in Afsa Bank. Uh, uh, is it safe? And I said, yes, it's very safe. Please, can I go and take my money? I said, you don't need to go and take your money. So that is the panic button that was pressed. And we all have a responsibility to calm the, the, the nerves and to ensure that the people of Ghana have faith they have faith in our financial system and our financial institutions. And we believe that this panic button that has been pressed would have to be managed. If you say that it is a voluntary program, if they don't sign on to it, how does your debt become sustainable? Of course, you need them to sign on to it. And so you must make the effort to engage them, consult them, and arrive at a conclusive position that carries the whole country along. You can't leave this to chance and say that I have put out a voluntary program. Knowing that if that voluntary program is not accepted, your debt still remains un- unsustainable and you still cannot have an IMF program. I rather we have a program of engagement and consultations so that all stakeholders agree on the level of pain that they need to take. 
so that we can support government and move forward. We can't leave this to chance with any voluntary so-called arrangement. This domestic debt restructuring that the government has done, this is just one aspect of many. What else do you reckon the government should be doing next in in meeting the targets before the IMF will give us a blessing? So for now, there are quite clearly a number of signaling that the bondholders and investor community have not seen. If you want people to tighten your belt, you must show the way in tightening your belt. They are not convinced that government is serious about fiscal consolidation. We want to see, and a lot of bond investors that I've spoken to, want to see government cut the size of that government. And they ask the question, why should we have a Ministry of Transport, a Ministry of Aviation, a Ministry of Railway Development? What exactly are they doing in those places? And so we need to bring all these together cut costs in managing our country, and have one ministry for transport. In any case, can't we have only one ministry manage communication and information? That is possible. So people want to see government give a certain signal. Last year in the 22 budget, the minister was quite clear that they will scrap development authorities in 2023. That could save the government about $1.3 billion of expenditure. Why are we still keeping it and keeping that large size? government. The, the, the government is putting almost $1 billion or more into what they call the Ghana Amalgamated Trust. For what? So we want to see some level of action from government, some level of tightening of the belt so that the government is showing that you can see, I am beginning to revisit the lifestyle that I was living, and I'm prepared to cut what I need to cut. So you support me also with your sacrifices. That we have not seen, and it is not fair that the people of Ghana are being asked to sacrifice 31 billion Ghana cities of their interests that they earn in 2023 just to support the funding of inefficient expenditures by government. Umaru, there are pensioners who have gone on retirement. They've taken the money and put them into mutual funds. They put those monies into government bonds. And what they do is that they live on the interest that come to them per annum. And that is what they live. 2023, you say you are paying no penny. Tell me how that person is going to survive. Quite clearly, we are not being sensitive to the plight of the average Ghanaian. And we want to have an arrangement that government gets something, but also the average Ghanaian also gets a protection. Let's leave it here for now. Thank you so much for speaking to us, sir. It is my pleasure. Thank That's you. That's Isaac He is MP for Bolga Central and Deputy Ranking on the Finance Committee. Of Parliament. This is Eyewitness News on 97.367. There are more reactions to the debt um, exchange program by government. Anu? The director of the Institute for Statistical, Social and Economic Research, Professor Peter Corte, has cautioned the government, members of parliament and stakeholders in the financial space against taking entrenched positions over the debt exchange program while lashing out at the government for failing to consult deeply before announcing the debt exchange program. Professor Corte said the program, though painful, is better than defaulting on debt obligations. The uh, consultation after the announcement. But yes, there was consultation. Would you say that if government had consulted before the announcement, things would have been, would have gone around things in a better way? I, I do think so. I, I thought it could have deepened the consultation. It could have been wider than what we see. Um, government has been consulting, but on a limited scale. Uh, but it, the whole thing transcends beyond the fund managers, the 
Ghanaian people, the ordinary man, the investors, would have to also have to know. Otherwise, there will be some counter-reactions that would not augur well for the policy. So people were rushing to withdraw their funds when the announcement came, and so on and so forth. But if consultations have been done very well, there is a lot of dissemination uh, and consensus building, I believe some of these unfortunate uh, reactions, uh, which are rational, uh, could have been avoided. Some of the people say the government brought this upon itself because for a long time many of you in academia and civil society have been shedding warning lights and the government wouldn't listen. What's your view on that, sir? Yes. Um, you know, this debt threshold, sustainability issues, is something we have been talking about, uh, not even directly, since 2014. If you refer to the IMF uh, debt sustainability analysis report, they continue to from 2014 and we didn't listen to good counsel and today we are here we've borrowed beyond the necessary thresholds and therefore when we're hit with all the external and internal shock we didn't have any buffer to help us uh, move out of the, the situation that is why we are in this current situation if we have left it some room or, or uh, some buffer we could have borrowed to you know, filling the exchange rate gap, the, the demand gap that we witnessed, good approach to filling some of the revenue uh, shortfalls, etc. But unfortunately, we had hit the roof and we couldn't uh, resolve the issue. You heard the director of the Institute of Statistical, Social and Economic Research, Professor Peter Corte. So the budget is still, um, well, budget has been approved, uh, but the minority side has said it's going to do a line by line analysis and assessment and reject what it thinks is not deserving of going through. Now, there's another group that has issues with the budget. Um, it is on the proposed fiscal policies in the 2023 budget and economic policy statement. There's a group known as the Tax Justice Coalition Ghana. It says that it has difficulties with some specific aspects. So we've called up the chairman of that coalition, writers Adabu Azim, to share more light or shed more light with rather with, with us on that issue. Mr. Azim, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. What are your difficulties specifically in terms of the taxes that have been imposed in the 2023 budgets, and what is your advice to government? Well, the, our difficulties with the fact that since 1992, various governments have focused too much on the consumer-based taxes. Consumer-based taxes mean that when you buy something, you pay a tax on it. And that means that whether you are poor or rich, whether your income is high or low, you pay the same amount of tax. And that is unfair to the majority of Ghanaians. So when you go and buy petrol, with, when you have a motorcycle and you go and buy petrol, you buy it at the same price as uh, maybe a minister or, or an MP who also goes to buy petrol, the same price. But we have been calling for more focus on progressive taxes, that is tax on income, property, and wealth, so that those who earn more, those who have more, will pay more. So because of that, with this budget, they are proposing to even increase the VAT from 12.5% to 50%. And when you look at that increase, the VAT is worked in addition to the state levies of the get fund state levy of 2.5%, the national health insurance level of 2.5%, and the COVID-19 levy of 1%. That is 6%, which is added to the, the VAT and then, I mean, to the cost of the good, and then tax at 15%. So at the end of the day, the VAT 
eventually becomes 21.9%. So it means that the price of your good that you are buying is increased by 21.9% just because of the tax. And this is not the only tax, consumer-based tax that we pay. When you are buying petrol, for example, there are about five or six taxes on the petrol that you are buying. But because these are not spelled out in the price of the petrol, you just go and say a little petrol is six cities. You just pay. You don't even know. And so it's an easy way for politicians and the revenue agents to collect money without people knowing, not feeling it, or apparently not feeling it, even though we feel the, the end result. And that's our problem. Okay, the government needs revenue. I'm sure we all agree with that. And they believe that VAT is a low-hanging fruit that can be plugged, and that's why they've imposed those uh, charges thereof. Now, if you're saying they shouldn't go the VAT way, what alternatives are there for them? We have said that we have uh, we are talking about in- tax on income, property, and wealth. For example, when you drive to East Legon, you look at the roads. We're not just talking about the beautiful, expensive houses there. But the roads that are built with the tanks of all Ghanaians, they are better than the, the roads in Kaswa. So those people should be paying more than those who are in Kaswa because they are better. They are in a better position to pay. They are enjoying better benefits than the rest of us. So this point is let's concentrate on property income and property taxes. What and a- even with, with the current laws, if they were serious, they could get maybe more than half of what they are getting now from those tasks that we're talking about. You also raise issue with the e-levy. The government has reduced the percentage downwards. That should be an applause that the government should be getting, no? No, even when they were trying to start it, we saw us were saying that if I thought they were doing it, it should be 0.5%. So reducing it to 1% still doesn't meet the majority decision, uh, the majority interest. Besides, if you reduce it to 1% and then you see that, okay, there's no more threshold. So the driver who leaves the house because he doesn't have money, later in the day he's able to send 50 cities to his, his wife or his child or 20 cities to his child in school, has to pay that, I mean, uh, to, to pay the, 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 the level on it, e-level on it. We think that that, that neutralizes the effect of the, 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 the reduction to 1%. Because now you are spreading over everybody. Even those who just want to transfer 10 cities to pay a, something, a debt. So it doesn't help at all to the, or to the poor person. If they restored the threshold and maintain the 1%, would that work for you? It will just be better, but we think that if they're not scrapping it at all, at least it should be 0.5%. Thank you so much for speaking to us. Sir. You're welcome. That's Vitus Azim. He is the chairman of the group known as the Tax Justice Coalition Ghana. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTF. And we have more coming your way. Please stay with us. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Let your voice be heard on Eyewitness News on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash city97.3. Twitter at twitter.com forward slash city973. And Instagram at instagram.com forward slash city973. With the hashtag Eyewitness News. You welcome back to Eyewitness News on 97.3 City. And let's talk about some legal issues now. Last week there was a report where uh, the persons who were standing trial in relation to Capital Bank 
were put before courts. The judgment was supposed to be delivered, but that judgment did not happen because there was a, a decision or a proposal that was brought to the court by the state and the persons who were standing trial in that particular case. That's William Atu Asin and two others. So that decision was deferred to 13th December. The judge will be back. A conversation will be had. A decision will be made. And then we'll know what happens to William Atu Asin and the rest. But there were some publications that the judicial service is not particularly excited about. The judicial secretary has issued a statement which is titled Correction and Clarification of Reportage of Proceedings in Court. On that day, the Deputy Attorney General Alfred Tuayebua was in, pa- in court and uh, he was representing the state in that particular case. So we've called him up to understand what exactly the difficulty is because, of course, um, the AG works with the judicial service. So what is the position of the judge? Is that judge has been misquoted plus what the plan really is from the state side? Honorable Deputy AG, you're welcome to Eyewitness News. Thank you, my brother. Which of the reportage does your office, and for that matter, the Judicial Service, have issue with? Yes, thank you very much. I think since uh, the 1st of December, we've read from various um, outlets that the judge said to open court that the state had been compromised. And we were surprised about, uh, about that news item because the judge never, in our presence, and I don't think even after we had left the court, ever said that the state had been compromised. So we, we are actually happy that the judge has, has come out openly to the judicial secretary to set the record straight. So this is just a matter of setting the record straight, that the judge did not say the state was compromised. I mean, I, I sat in court that day. I was with my colleague, and we, we didn't hear the judge say that, just by way, by way of um, corroborating what has been said in here. So I think that settles it, doesn't it? Exactly. It settles because I saw you, you were in court. The judge never said it, but there was a new sport out that flashed in headlines that the state had been compromised. And my brother, you know that at the, at the AG's office, we handled this matter utmost candor and fidelity. We looked at the law. We looked at the proposal made by the first accused person. Keep the conclusion. We're not unaware of the fact that whatever acceptance that we made with respect to the offer made by the first accused person was subject to the satisfaction of the court. So this matter we handled with utmost candor. So let's talk about what the state tried to do that day. I mean, what, what, okay, there's a law that says if someone thinks they are going to jail, they could come and decide to pay money. Is that the case? Can you educate us what you were trying to do that day in court? Yes. Uh, if you take a look at our court act, section 35, it has detailed certain aspects of our criminal offenses that an accused person can take advantage of when he's charged with those offenses. One of them being offense relating to economic loss to the state. So the first accused person sought to take advantage of Section 35 of the Court Act because from their point of view, whatever the first accused person did had actually led the state to lose some form of money.
So they made a proposal to us. They started from 27.5 million Ghana cities as the sum admitted by the A5, sorry, A1. We rejected it. Subsequently, they went into their books. I'm talking about the first accusation and this council. Then they came up to 57.5 million Ghana cities and offered to compensate the state with an amount close to 30 million Ghana cities, making it 70 million Ghana cities. We rejected it. Then finally, they sought to increase the compensation package from 30 million Ghana cities to 33 million Ghana cities, making it 90 million. They realized that it was quite reasonable in the circumstance to accept that sum so that the first accused person could take advantage of Section 35. So exactly this is what we did in this particular case. Except that the judge was not happy with the figure you agreed with the A1 on. Have you managed to raise that figure a little higher than what it was that was proposed in court? In fact, in court, you were in court. We were not given the opportunity to even explain how we came to the 90 million Ghana cities. But the judge expressed his opinion about that amount. We, as the, the prosecutors representing the Republic, we don't have to make any overtures to the A1. If the A1 comes up to say, notwithstanding what, Every conversation he intends making, he thinks that he should add more, we receive it. So we are still waiting. Why is the state taking the compensation and not the shareholders of Capital Bank? And I think that's a question that has come through a lawyer. And I'm going to build that question to see that the judge even pointed out that fact. He argued that the offense was against the state, uh, was against Capital Bank and not against the state, in so that. The money that was lost was not Ghana money, but it was money of shareholders of Capital Bank. So if it was Capital Bank that lost money, Section 35 of the Court Act would not apply. That's the judge's argument. Have you found some more readings that you can use to convince the judge? Yes. Unfortunately, we are unable to agree with that position. Because as we speak now, there is nothing like Capital Bank. Capital Bank has been taken over by the Ghana Commercial Bank. The government of Ghana is the owner, technically speaking, of Ghana Commercial Bank. Two, Capital Bank was given an amount of 620 million Ghana cities as liquidity support. It is out of this amount that we have charged the accused persons with a specific offenses. So looking at it from both ways, the money we're talking about is for the government of Ghana and no other person. Um, that, not, ag- mm, go ahead, Land. If the, uh, that argument were to hold, then it would mean that Atwesian is the owner of that money and that he cannot steal his own money. So that has been the argument. We are saying that that money, the, the, the 182 million Ghana cities, out of which he even refunded 100 million plus to the state, is not money belonging to Capital Bank, but currently to the government of Ghana. Number three, if you are to look at those amount of money that the state 
paid to the depositors, which we are told is close to or there about 25 billion Ghana cities. This amount is bad. Most money was used in paying that amount. The people of Ghana, the taxpayer, the taxpayer's money. In that case, whatever amount that we retrieve from this kind of prostitution belongs to the people of Ghana and the government of Ghana. Except that the moment the liquidity support was given to Capital Bank, it ceases to be money for the state. It becomes money for the shareholders of Capital Bank or directors, depends on how you're looking at it. And that was the argument of the judge in court. And again, that money, whether or not Capital Bank ceases to exist, the, the trial was in the name of Capital Bank, not in the name of the state, that the money was stolen from Capital Bank. And so, and again, I'm not going to engage in this argument with you. You are the lawyers and you'll be facing the judge later on 13th December. But just to convince Ghanaians that what the judge said, you still disagree and you have a better argument that the money is for Ghana and not for Capital Bank as of the time that it was stolen, quote and unquote. Yes. I'm not unaware of the fact that we need to go back to court on the 13th. So as you really stated, our position is that that money we are talking about now is the money which belongs to the state. And this is what we're going to state when we meet in court on the 13th. Okay. Now, before you go, Generally, people's reaction on social media is that people who engage in petty crimes like stealing are put before court and they go to jail. However, when the rich steals, they manage to wriggle free by coming up with all manner of things. And I remember that the judge was a bit taken aback that you as a state even agreed to the terms that were brought before you, such as the time value of money, money that was supposedly stolen in 2015, being paid back by, at the same value at this time. He believes the value would have been lost and so on. He even references another case, which is a venture capital case, and said that he was, he was taken aback by the decision of the state at the time to settle that particular case. What would you say to people who say, this is just a cooked up deal by the government and maybe its friend and that this is not opened and available to every other ordinary Ghanaian but just for the select few elites in society. People may have that opinion but I would like us to refer to the section 35 of the Cost Act. That section being part of the Cost Act was passed by the People's Representative of Ghana, that is the Parliament of Ghana. So Parliament of Ghana has passed an act, and Parliament represents the 270 councils that we have in the country. At the time, I think it was about 200 plus. They've passed the law. If an accused person chooses to take advantage of that law, there's nothing wrong with that. Number two, if you look at the figure, the judge made those comments, which I think he was, he was right to make, because he was not aware about the composition of the 90 million Ghana cities. So as you speak now, like I explained, the accused person has admitted 57.5 million Ghana cities. And the state, on its part, pushed him to add up and now we have 90 million Ghana cities. And we should have in mind that 
the state which is prosecuting the matter is not the judge in the case. If you take your case to court, two things. It's either you win or you lose. We are fortified in our belief that upon calling 17, 17 witnesses, we should get judgment in our favor. But you can never say that you have judgment. It's left to the court or the judge to determine the matter. So looking at the probabilities, we realized that it was quite reasonable to assert this amount from the first accused person and then move on with whatever the judge may want to stay because that agreement is subject to satisfaction of the judge. Let us not forget that we have second accused person and third accused person. Especially the second accused person, he has also been charged with stealing of some of the amounts. But the total amount, as you, as you know, is about 90.7 million Ghana cities. So it's not the first accused person who has been charged with all the amount. That's another leg that I think Ghanaians should also know. But if the judge in his wisdom decides that it's not the amount that is, that is, is, is satisfied with, as prosecutors, we will agree and let the judge go ahead and deliver his judgment. The judge said the deal that you reached, he didn't find it to be in the best interest of the state. What is your candid view on that, having listened to the arguments of the judge? We disagree with that position, and I think the judge made that pronouncement because he was not aware of the composition of the 90 million Ghana cities that the state accepted. So you don't even think that the issue of the value of the money now should come up at all? You still think that the figure is the best that we can get from Atuasian? All that we have done is subject to the satisfaction of the judge. So if the judge is made aware of the composition and he still thinks that something should be added, he has the right and the power to do so. But you as a state do not think to ask for a raise of the figure? Now the state has agreed with A1. If A1 comes back to say they are making a new offer, we will consider it. Very well. If A1 decides not to come back to us, we will go to the court and then listen to what the judge will have to say on that amount and we will go by it. Very well. Thank you for speaking to us, sir. I'm grateful, my brother. That's the Deputy Attorney General, Alfred Tua Yeboa. This is Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. We are broadcasting from Adabraka in Accra. We return with more from the world of business and then there would also be point blank. We'll be talking about the impending NDC election. But before then, there was some chaos in relation to a YA official who nearly got lynched. And will tell us that. Police in the eastern region have begun investigations into the near lynching of the operations manager of the Youth Employment Agency in the region, Samuel Kwame Kodia. The timely intervention from police personnel prevented beneficiaries of the just-ended Community Protection Assistance Module from lynching the official in Kufuria. According to City News sources, the beneficiaries who were accusing regional officers of YEA of deliberately denying them transportation allowances vented their anger on the operations manager. Samuel Kwame Kodia provided further details on his ordeal to City News. We are expecting seven buses from Ashanti region to Kofuria Training Center to bus their beneficiary back home 
Unfortunately, the arrangement delayed. Only one bus came at night. Whilst who beneficiaries from Eastern Region were returning. Upon returning, there was certain misinformation that uh, they were expected to be given transportation, and those transportation are with the regional offices. Samuel Kwame Kodia is the Eastern Regional Operations Manager of the Youth Employment Agency. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. Get the details. Every significant financial transaction, every market movement, and all the policies that affect your business. City Business News. Be informed. Time now for City Business News on Eyewitness News, powered by citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Obudu. Let's settle for the details and now. The Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Guta, says its members will realign with the 2023 budget despite their earlier concerns over portions of the policy. Guta had, among others, objected to the increase in the VAT rate in the budget, arguing that it would increase their cost of doing business. Despite this, the budget was yesterday approved in Parliament. Speaking to City Business News President of Guta, Dr. Joseph Obing stated that his outfit will continue to engage government to streamline the VAT policy to ensure compliance. Once the budget has been adopted and accepted by Parliament, it might be deemed as a, a whole country having accepted it. And that's, we also have to, we have no option than to accept it. Even though we had a few issues with the increment of the VAT, but nonetheless, um, we That was the president of the Ghana Union of Traders Associations, Guta. Now, as part of efforts to eliminate corruption associated with tax clearance in the country, the Ghana Revenue Authority is encouraging businesses to check their tax compliance status and ensure that they do not have outstanding tax payments before applying for an electronic tax clearance certificate. The move is expected to eliminate the incidence of fake tax certificates in the system. A tax clearance certificate is documentary evidence issued to confirm that the taxpayer is up to date with any tax payment and has met all applicable tax obligations at the date of issue. Deputy Commissioner in charge of the Large Tax Office at the GRE, Alfred Chumisin Tiamwa, addressed the media on the sidelines of a seminar for large taxpayers on the implementation of electronic invoicing of VAT and electronic tax clearance certificate in Accra. Right now, you can just sit in the comfort of your offices and generate your own tax clearance certificate. If you are compliant, the emphasis is on if you are compliant. Being compliant means that you have filed all necessary tax returns and we have made payment of all taxes that are due from you to the state. If you haven't done so, it means that you will not be able to generate your own TCC, uh, and then you have to, the system will tell you that you are not compliant. It, it will show you why you are not compliant. And before you can uh, get your TCC, it means that you have to comply, as the system has in, uh, uh, informed you. If you are owing taxes, you have to pay. If you haven't filed your tax returns, you have to file the returns, and then there will be imposition of penalty and interest. You have to also pay those funds before you'll be able to get your TC. We don't want our clients to come to our offices anymore to apply for tax clearance certificate. Um, issuing tax clearance certificate manually is now a thing of the past. 
That was the Deputy Commissioner in charge of the Large Taxpayer Office at the GRA, Alfred Trimisi in Tiamwa. Now, Minister of Communication and Digitalization, Eslo Usuekufu, says Ghana is bracing itself to adapt the metaverse technology. According to the minister, government is putting in place measures for its safe implementation as well as promoted digital inclusion. A metaverse is a shared online 3D space where users can interact with each other and with computer-generated objects and avatars. Speaking to journalists on the sidelines of the 14th ITU Kaleidoscope event, uh, S. Lohusu Kufu indicated that Ghana stands to gain more revenue if it invests in the youth to develop metaverse technology. So the metaverse that we're discussing today, maybe five, ten years from now, will be a reality. So it's important that we also contribute our store of unique knowledge in the development of this um, innovation, which is, is imminent. They say that it can contribute about $1.5 trillion to the digital economy. We need to be part of that innovation. If our young innovators have developed some applications that are w- w- uh, global um, use, like the WhatsApps and stuff, and it's a Ghanaian innovation. Can you imagine how much revenue that will bring to us in this country? So when we're investing in unearthing talent and in, in providing young people with digital skills, we're deliberately giving them the tools with which to survive and thrive in the fourth industrial revolution because it is happening and we can't continue to be bystanders. We have to be active participants in, in, in the innovative innovation ecosystem. But we do have the talent. We need to create the opportunity for them to also engage and utilize their skills for the benefit of them as, human, uh, as, as individuals and the nation as a whole. The Minister of Communications and Digitalization, Esla Owusu Ekufu. Now, with fuel prices tipped to drop further, energy consultant Benjamin Insia believes transport operators will have to make more concessions for commuters. There have been calls for a reduction in transport fares after the price of fuel in the country dropped slightly, uh, significantly, with diesel, for instance, declining from almost 24 Ghana cities per liter to about 18 Ghana cities a liter at the pumps. But transport operators have remained entrenched in their position, arguing that fuel prices are still quite high, considering the fact that prices as other pumps as of January this year were just at about 6 CDs, 50 pesos a litre. Speaking to City Business News, Mr. Nsia is of the view that at least a 10% drop in transport fares is a fair compromise. As we speak today, prices have plummeted from the 23 Ghana cities, 50 pesos per litre, and I'm talking about diesel, uh, to 18 Ghana cities, 86 pesos per litre, and that is about 25% decline in the prices of a product when they increase this particular fare. So it is justified for anyone to say that uh, they should decrease their fares because they asked for 19 litre implemented 40% increase. Now prices have declined by 25%. I think it is also incumbent on them to also decrease their fare by at least uh, 10%. The argument is that cost of living is high. Yes, cost of living is high, but cost of living is an element in certain fares in Ghana. It is not the only element. So if cost of living is high, that is why I think that it is appropriate and effective for people to say, no, don't even decrease fares by 25%, but at least uh, 10% will do. In the future, I'm thinking that uh, fares will continue to decrease because uh, prices of petroleum products on the international market are continuously plummeting. And they are even uh, plummeting to levels before the Russian-Ukraine conflict. 
Energy Consultant Benjamin Insia. That's all for City Business News on Eyewitness News. It was powered by your most comprehensive business news website, citybusinessnews.com. My name is Michael Lupudu. Thank you for listening. As always, please stay safe. Up next is Point Blank. Eyewitness News. Be there as it happens. This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News on 97.3 CTFM. My name is Umaru Sandama. Tonight on Point Blank, we'll talk about NDC's internal elections, the Youth and Women Organizer Congress coming up this week. But before then, let's talk about the Appointments Committee of Parliament. That committee has vetted some persons nominated to be judges by the president. We have seen a report that suggests two persons have been okayed by the committee. But two names have uh, disappeared. So we've called up the Honorable Muntaka Mohammed Mubarak. He's Minority Chief Whip MP for uh, Aswasin, also a member of the Appointments Committee. To have an understanding of what the situation is. Honorable, you're welcome to Prime Blank on Eyewitness News. What's the situation with the four nominees? Well, good evening to you and your cherished listeners. Uh, I'm sure your reporters from Parliament, the like of Duke and others, will tell you that uh, when a committee is reporting, especially the appointments committee, because the report of the appointment committee has two folds, you are either recommending by uh, unanimity or you are recommending without unanimity. And there are standing orders and the 1992 constitution is very clear. When we at the appointment committee report unanimously, so we recommend to the House, and usually the House will debate it and uh, vote based on voice, unless someone feels very strongly about the voice, and then maybe you call for headcount. But where we do not have unanimity, then the debate comes, it comes as a recommendation, the debate ensues, and then we go ahead and vote based on 1992 Constitution to the 104 by secret. Now, the four judges that were referred to us in our vetting and the recommendation with two of the justices, we were unanimous. And the unanimity is what has resulted in the report that you've seen. So their report is together. And then those that we do not have unanimity, they will also be put on another report. So this report that was laid today is for those that we have unanimity. And usually we'll go by voice votes. And, uh, and like I said earlier, unless someone challenges the voice, then we'll, we'll go for headcount. But for the second report that will be laid later, I'm sure maybe tomorrow or later, uh, sometime next week, it will also be laid. But that one, because we didn't have unanimity, it is one of two things. Either maybe the committee goes back, maybe because some other things have been demanded, if they are brought and they are convinced about uh, their qualification to go to a Supreme Court, you go back to the committee and try to have unanimity. Other than that, you prepare the report without the unanimity. And then when that one comes, you are sure that you have to go to the secret voting to determine whether the House agrees with the recommendation of the appointments committee or not. So missing, seeing two missing is not, uh, it's not any strange in, in the way we report. If you remember during the version of the ministers, we had to put the report of the agric minister, the fisheries minister, and the information minister together because there were no unanimity on them. And therefore, when the debate ensued, we had to use uh, secret ballots. But you saw the others were put together, and then the voice was 
I mean, was the one that was used, the method that was used in determining so, whether the House agrees with the appointment committee or not. So, so this is the first report. Okay. It does so not mean that you, it does not mean you have rejected the other two. You see, that is the interesting thing. I don't know. We've been practicing this 1992 constitution for 30 years now. Unfortunately, uh, we still have people who do not still understand how parliament works. There's no committee of parliament that can go and reject or accept something. What you do is that... But you can you recommend that the person be rejected. Ah, you recommend... So, so that that's what I'm saying. So your committee rejected. has not recommended... It does not mean your committee has recommended that he should be rejected by the plenary. No, uh, uh, when we say we don't have unanimity, is that we do majority... Especially in the case of the two, on the day that we're taking the decision, majority said no, they shouldn't go to the Supreme Court. But that will be a recommendation to the House. And it's the House that will determine whether they agree with the Appointments Committee or disagree with the Appointments Committee. Okay. So at this stage, it's very difficult to say you are rejecting or not uh, because whatever you bring it remains a recommendation. The final decision is out of the House. Thank you so much uh, for speaking to us. As Honorable Muntaka Mohamed Mubarak, he's a member of the Appointments Committee of Parliament, MP Faswasi and Minority Chief Web. <laughs> This is Point Blank on Eyewitness News. My name is Umaru Sandama. Just gone by your head, General Mutaga Mohammed Mubarak, DC Member of Parliament. And that takes us into the main party now. The National Democratic Congress goes to the polls this weekend to elect women organizer and youth organizer. There would also be deputies to be elected, deputy women organizer or organizers and deputy youth organizers. So let's test the mood in camps ahead of the Congress this Saturday in Cape Coast. Osman Ayariga is hoping to be deputy youth organizer of the NDC. He's joining us on the line. Uh, Mr. Ayariga, you're welcome to Point Blank. Thank you very much, my brothers. How are you doing? I'm doing well. Why do you want to be Deputy Youth Organizer of the NDC? Thank you very much, Omaru. I would want to say a good evening to you, good evening to your cherished listeners, and good evening to the good people of Ghana. Um, my journey to becoming Deputy Youth Organizer, when I started going around this country, 
I thought it was just about being deputy youth organizer of the NDC. But going around into various homes and villages and assessing and understanding the current conditions of the youth of this country, I've realized that it is beyond just organizing the NDC, but actually organizing the entire country to be able to take out this current NPP government that has put the youth of this country through this untold hardship. So it is not just about Osman Ayaga, but it is about the youth out there who are going through the suffering, the unprecedented hardship, the untold hardship that we are going through in this country. No, so the hardship, how did you see it reflecting when you went around? Which areas did you go to? What are some of the things that jumped at you, for instance? Now, Umaru Sanda, I am a youth myself. When I started this campaign somewhere last year, I used to fill my car to go around the country. To fill the tank alone used to be 300 cities. Now today, the same car, the same distance, the same engine, nothing has changed. I need 1,800 cities to fill the same pickup that I used some six or ten months ago. So not to even listen to the youth. Myself, I have gone through that hardship. So going around, you listen to the youth. And most importantly is that when you go out there and people even see your NDC stickers on your cars and they come to you, they tell you that we beg you, you people should do your best and save this country from the current hardship that the NPP has made them go through. Even NPP sympathizers, NPP youth come to you and they tell you that they are disappointed in their own government. So I, I, this is how you would measure it from what they tell you and from what you are going through yourself. So you would know that there is general suffering. So it is not just about going for the NDC youth organizer, but it is about trying as much as possible to be a voice of the youth to make sure you're able to organize the youth of this country beyond just NDC to take the MPP government out. Okay, now, what do you think really is a problem with the youth? This government has done so many things. NAPCO is there. It's talking about a youth start. Are you saying all these policies didn't work for the youth of Ghana? Omaru, yes, the government says they have put together NAPCO youth start. Believe you me, Omaru, youth start... I have gone around this country and no one is talking about U-Start. U-Start itself is even about to start. U-Start has been on the budget of many years. I think it started somewhere last two years. It has been on the budget last year and is still featuring. And nothing has started so far as U-Start is concerned. I have been on the ground and I'm yet to see a single beneficiary come out and tell me that he is a beneficiary of U-Start. As for NAPCO, I don't think uh, uh, we even want to go into the story of NAPCO. NAPCO itself needs people to fight for them. We all know what happened at the Independence Square where you had NAPCO beneficiaries go on demonstration. And the NDC has always persisted that NAPCO in itself was just an election-winning machinery. And we all have seen what has happened to the NAPCO beneficiaries. So it goes beyond just putting together some of these policies that cannot or should not or is not enduring to the benefit of the ordinary youth. What the youth need is an enabling economic environment to be able to start a tabletop business and it will flourish, it will flourish. to start weaving baskets in Boga and it will flourish, to start growing cassava or even carrots in Boko and it will flourish. That is what the youth needs. So if you do not have an enabling environment, so far as the economy is concerned, you can put together all these programs with very flamboyant, beautiful names. You know, and the MPP is good at giving its very fine, fine slogans, fine agenda names. But the reflection on the ground is that people are suffering. 
If the people are suffering, uh, that would be a political party that they may think of changing. Now, that political party would need national leaders. Why do you think that you should be giving the nod as one of the aspirants to be deputy youth organizer? Why should NDC Youth give you that mandate? Omaru, we all go out to the delegates and we sell our message to them. And I have sold to the, to the good people of the NDC a message of hope, a message that will try as much as possible to organize the NDC youth, a message that will make sure that the NDC youth is able to protect the electoral victory that the NDC will be able to chalk in the coming election of 2024, a message to tell them that it is not just about Osman Ayaga, but it is about the future of the NDC, because the youth is the future of the NDC. The good delegates and the youth organizers of the NDC would assess every message Assess every candidate because, trust me, it is not just about making promises. The good people of the NDC have realized that, especially using Nana Kufado as an example, that it's not just about promises. It's not just coming out there to promise what you cannot do, like Kufado did to Kanyev, but it is about putting together realistic plans as to how we all can get to the end, and that is to achieve what is achievable for the youth. And that is what I go out and I tell them. So the youth of this country are buying into the message that we need to come together. We need to unite as the youth of the party. We need to fight together to make sure we're able to oust this NPP government. Then we can make sure that we put together policies that will adhere to the benefit of the youth, of not only the NDC, but the entire Ghanaian youth. You're going so many other contestants. Why should you, and why do you think you will stand out? Omaru, I've served this party for some time. I've been a former student leader. I started as a branch youth organizer. I've been the president of the National Union of Ghana Students. That has been experienced, putting together that all of these portfolios constitute the youth. So I have a fair understanding and appreciation of the youth and the policies that would inure to the benefit of the youth. But at the end of the day, it is the NDC youth that will decide. And I know deep down in my heart, clear in my conscience, I'm convinced that once the NDC delegates go through all the candidates, go through our policies and analyze the candidates, I would emerge as a winner so far as this contest is concerned. Wish you all the best and thank you for speaking to us. Thank you very much, Umaru. That's Osman Ayariga. He wants to be deputy youth organizer of the NDC when the party goes to the polls this weekend. Another person hoping to be deputy youth organizer is Jude Seclair. Join us on the line. Jude, you're welcome to Point Blank on Eyewitness News. Thank you very much, Amanda. How has the campaign been? What has it been unearthing for you? Well, first of all, let me say good evening to your listeners and good evening to all NDC members listening to us, especially our youth NDP. Um, I have been on this road going around the country engaging youth organizers, speaking to them about the ideas I also have to bring on board to enhance our chances to win power. I have not gone to tell them when I win power, I'm going to do A, B, C, D for them before the power comes. Before I can do whatever I'm asking them, I'm going to do for them before. I must work and ensure that we win the power. Without power, whatever I'm telling them cannot materialize. So for me, I don't go to tell them, A, B, C, D, you want to win power, and make sure you get this, or you get this. I have a message I tell them, which are in twofold, before power and after power. And before power talks about what I'm also going to bring on board, as a deputy national organizer of the NDC, 
that will enhance our chances to win power. And when we win the power, whatever we deserve as youth organizers of this party, we'll also go and ask for it. Now, what have the people themselves been telling you? Paint the picture for, of Ghana for us, having told. What, what is the situation with the youth of Ghana? Well, my youth organizers are telling me that I have an inspiring message. I have a message that is resonating with them, a message that gives them hope, a message that is encouraging them that, yes, there's a better future for the NDC. There's a, bit, a better future for this country, and that, that better future can only be provided by the Attained having the NDC in power, ensuring that we can do something that will help this country and move this country from where it is now. Because looking at the situation at hand, this country is almost into an abyss. And we need somebody to rescue this country. There must be a rescue mission for this country. And the NDC is coming to offer that. And whilst we are at it, what are we, the youth, going to also contribute in getting this achieved? And that is what we are looking at. That is what I discussed with them. And they've been so happy with the message, or the message resonates with them. And it tells me this is the kind of thing they want to hear. Because my message are not political promises. My message are solutions to the challenges we are facing as a party, especially with the youth, first of all, and as a country. And so I put all together and have that engagement with them. So when I move away, they get satisfied with my message. They get back and tell me, gentlemen, you are so far the best person you have listened to. And we think that you deserve to be in that office to work to endure to the benefit of the youth of the party. The current administration, the party in power, came with a manifesto that was titled An Agenda for Jobs, and it was targeting the youth. When it came through, it provided jobs for 100,000 people who were on the scheme for three years. It has introduced what it calls a Youth Start Program. It has expanded the YES program that the NDC left behind and called it uh, NIP, National Youth Entrepreneurial Program, some very long name there. They say that they are doing all of this and supporting the youth um, in a number of things. They have brought the farming agenda where they say the youth are heavily involved. Why do you think after all of these things, these programs that they've rolled out, they've brought free SHS, the youth are benefiting. Why would they even bother thinking about the NDC and I mean the youth? Well, if whatever everything has said they were going to do, that's really what they are doing for Ghanaians. And they are really actually achieving that. And that is having a, a, a positive impact on the life of the Ghanaians. I'm, really sh- I'm not sure there will be this kind of agitations, anger in the public domain. Because the policies they are bringing together are just political talks. Why do you tell me you are going to give an employment for three years and ask me to go and sit at home? What kind of, what, what kind of employment is that? We are looking at employment that, should be, what, that is sustainable, and can help people. For me, I believe that this government has engaged in a lot of wastage, and that is their, their happiness. They just get into wastage, do anything that they can just have an opportunity to waste money, and probably even have issues of encouraging people to even milk the state alongside the kind of wastage they are making. And for me, I strongly believe that, but I strongly believe that with the NDC are what it takes to help this youth, and we've done it, we've been tried and tested severally. But the MPP in 2016 decided to use some means to just get into power by lying to the people, telling them things that they want to hear, but not the truth of what they can do for us. Today, the reality has done on us as Ghanaians, and we are all looking up to the NDC to come back to power and fix this challenge for us. The rescue mission we are looking for is going to happen in 2024, and 
come with me when and this wins power because we are going to win power in 2024 we are going to rescue this country and move this country from where it is to where we want to see it as youth of this country there will be 10 of you on the ballot on saturday in cape coast when the ndc youth and appear to to cast their ballot why should Jude Sekler be the priority of the thumb of the voter? Thank you. Um, the NDC has an election to win in 2024. That means there's a job to be done. There is not a time for them to look out for people who are, who are friends, looking at people who are going to be investing money just to get you to vote for them. People, because I'm voting for you because I'm from the same region, the same tribe, and the same church, or what have you or the same school. This is a time for them to look at people who understand the job, who knows the ground, who have been on the job already. I have been working with the NDC over so many years. And even for the last 12 years of my life, I've been with the National Youth Wing of the NDC. I've been attending every Congress, supporting people. I've was already in school. I've been a member of the team. In fact, I founded team in my university when I went to the first year. The Limited University College there was no team. I had to push for it to be founded. And when it was done, I was the acting vice president for three months, organized election and handed over to my seniors whom I met in school. It means that I have shown commitment to the team. When it comes to the student front, I have served as a um, secretary for education and democratization at the National of Ghana students at the national level. Under my watch, after I left Nukes, I stayed behind to ensure I help people who are inclined to the ideologies of the NDC and I ensure that I produce some level of Nukes presidents, about four of them under my watch. I didn't abandon them. And, and I didn't abandon them. I stayed and supported people, including my own contender and brother, Osman Ayaga himself. And he cannot deny this fact. Julius Mawasi Kobna, Frank Amakon, who is now the regional secretary of the NDC, Prosperdiche, Parkway are people I, I stayed behind to ensure I support them because I need colleagues I have to grow with in this political terrain. We need to grow together as friends, grow together as brothers and sisters so we can get to the limelight together because we understand ourselves and work so we can have a lot of human resources around, around us because we've gotten people who have gotten the experience going through the meal. For me, I have taught this country not less than five times and this is my sixth tour across the country as a young man working for the NDC. I have gained enough experience, I've gained enough skills, knowledge, and understanding of the NDC, and that's what I bring to bear. The dynamics that happens in every constituency have a fair idea because I don't sit in Accra and talk to people on the phone. I move to the constituency. And today, I'm not coming in because there's a seat to be occupied for deputy national organizer because I'm going to election 2024 to win power. I have that rich experience amongst all the 10. And for me, I can tell you, with this experience that, that, that I have, when I speak to delegates, they see it in me because I don't speak and say things that I don't know about. Whatever I see, when I mention an idea, I tell you how we can execute it, how it can be done. I just don't mention them and leave it. And that is what they appreciate about me because I have that experience, I have a knowledge of everything happening across the country. Today, as, I, as, as I'm speaking to you now, within 16 days, I taught 13 regions of this country. And you can call across the country and tell them, I visited constituencies. Where Zabzugu, Tatale, Chrepone, Goshegu, Karaga, I've been to Tumu, Golu, I've been to Lambusi, Nandom, Laura, I've, met, I've been to all these concerns, one after the other to interact with three consensus organizers. I've spoken to 10 presidents, and they tell me that my message of hope that I'm giving them is inspiring them that the NDC can work again. And for me, I can tell you, among the 10, on the 10th of December, I'm going to be elected as the Deputy National Youth Organizer of the Student Looking at 
the experience I have gathered so far, and, and none of my colleagues can come close when it comes to experience in working for the NDC. Nobody can come close. And that one is a fact. I'm cross-checked. Yeah. And I will not sit here and say that I'm, 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 I'm just coming in to occupy the seat. I'm coming in to work. And there's, there's work to be done. And that's what I'm going to offer the people of the NDC as a youth wing. I want to also urge my colleagues, as I tell them, we should look for people who are ready to work, people who have been working, who are competent, experienced, not people who will just come in and tell you, I will do A, B, C, D. And people will become and lure us. Let's not look beyond material gains and then look for people who are ready to work and offer their services to the NDC. Mm. People who understand the ground. If you need a leader to take you to the battleground, he must know the ground so that he can take you and back safely so we can all be celebrating. Not mourning that we left some of them behind because the, the, the leader of the, of, of the troops didn't know the grounds. I know the grounds and must follow me to the grounds because I will take you and back so mm. we come back and celebrate in peace. Wish you all the best and thank you for speaking to us. Thank you. That's Jude Seckler. He is aspiring to be Deputy Youth Organizer of the NDC. The party will be holding the elections this weekend in the Central Regional Capital, Cape Coast, and Trust 97.3 CTFM and City TV to bring you coverage of that Congress. That would be it for Eyewitness News tonight. My name is Umaru Sanda Amado. Production by Bevlin London, Hansen Ajiman, and Sami. We have technical support from Daniel Squashy. And, of course, the new media team also supported us uh, by bringing you live the Facebook feed that you have been watching. Thank you. Stay with 97.3 CTFM Relevant Radio. Always. Reach our hotline on 0302-224959 and get interactive on Facebook, City 97.3 FM, and on Twitter at City 973.